0: Welcome to Obsessed Show, a podcast that is designed to inspire, featuring some of the most creative people in the world. I'm your host, Josh Miles. Welcome to season four of Obsessed Show. You'll note that we are no longer calling it Obsessed with Design. This season, we'll still be chatting with designers from branding, illustration, architecture, and design thinking, but we'll also be talking to other makers and creatives along the way. In fact, when we started the show, the plan all along was to broaden out and talk to other guests eventually, which was part of why our website and Twitter handle and Instagram are all obsessed show. If you're into what we're doing here, you might also want to check out my personal branding and marketing tips called 59 Second Friday. That's over at youtube.com slash Josh Miles. That's enough about season four. Let's talk about today's episode. So today's episode literally dropped into my inbox earlier this week. On April 9th, Museum of Arts and Design will open Too Fast to Live, Too Young to Die, Punk Graphics from 1976 to 1986. This will be the first exhibit under the new museum director, And it will be an adapted showcase for New York City of the storied punk history. Much of this exhibition originates from a massive collection from Andrew Cravine, which originated at Cranbrook Art Museum in Michigan. If that's confusing, it took me a minute to wrap my head around it too, but I promise we'll get this cleared up. Too Fast to Live, Too Young to Die charts punk's explosive impact on design and examines its complex relationship with art, history, and culture with more than 400 pieces of punk's most iconic graphic design including flyers zines posters and album covers will all be on display during a members only event on april 15th johnny rotten will kick off a full series of public programs that will feature several of punk's architects and revolutionaries so today on Obsessed Show we're speaking with Andrew Blavelt, director of Cranbrook Museum and the curator of this new exhibition. So without further ado, Andrew, welcome to Obsessed Show.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: Well, hey, this was a super exciting opportunity that that literally I just got kind of a cold email about, hey, would you like to talk to Andrew about this this punk design exhibition and of course, I had to say yes, and we we had this we have this family joke about actually about the Sex Pistols. So this relates back to (laughs) to Johnny Rotten. But um, when my wife and I first started dating, this was like in the late '90s. um, We were playing Trivial Pursuit with her family, and one of these questions was about punk rock, and I was like in my head, I'm thinking, all right, my best guess, like I don't know the answer to this, but I'm going to guess Sid Vicious. And so I guessed that, and they all rolled their eyes and looked at me like I don't even know who Sid Vicious is. And they flipped over the car, and they were like, "How did you know that?" <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, this longstanding Sid Vicious joke in our in our family. But uh, enough about about my family and my jokes. Let's let's talk a little bit about the show. So I before we jump into the show itself, though, I would I would love to hear a little bit. Um, you know, with our show, we always love to hear origin stories. So. Tell us about how you found yourself in the position of director of Cranbrook, which is also an awesome design school, um, and, right. and curator of this, uh, exhibition.
1: Oh, wow. That's, I don't know if you have enough time. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> like, <I've, laughs> that's a long history. Um, cause I went to, I studied design at Cranbrook.
0: Oh, so, that's very cool. I
1: was, so I'm a designer, but then I ended up in the museum world. So now I'm a curator and I'm museum director. And now I'm back at Cranbrook where I went to graduate school in the eighties. So it's full all circle. Kind of full circle. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, so I'm a design curator, um, as well as a designer. So, um, we got to punk because the last major exhibition I curated was on the counterculture. So it was called hippie modernism, a mm-hmm. struggle for utopia. And that, um, and so the joke is that that was the last uh, major countercultural movement. And then the next one, because that show ran through like 1964 to 1974. So the joke was, well, then I have to do punk next, because that could take me from 75 to like 85. So, <laughs> And it was like the so in the catalog, or which is really kind of a newspaper I talk about, hippies and punks and how one followed the other and how they're like opposed but also there's some similarities so somehow this all makes sense and since i study graphic design a graphic design historian um punk uh graphics was a natural topic because you obviously you have shows about punk music but um and then the, the med did a punk fashion show and so music obviously but also fashion and then the third area that had a major impact was graphics so, and no one had really mounted a major exhibition looking at punk through the lens of graphic design. So that's why I wanted to, when I met Andrew Carvine, the collector, um, he has many thousands of pieces in his collection. And so it was just an opportunity to use it as a cross section for all the things that were produced um, under the ages of graphic design by both professional designers, but also by amateur designers.
0: So I understand that Matt, um, Andrew's collection is massive. Um, but yeah. did, did he begin this kind of, you know, early in the punk movement or is this kind of like a later in life going around and scrapping stuff together? How did, how did he amass this huge collection?
1: Oh yeah. It's an interesting story. Um, cause you would think it would be from the beginning and it could have been because he, um, he uh he's a U- u.s citizen um but he spent time in england uh, during this time period mm. and, and and so and his and his um god i want to get this right like a family relative was one of the um, purveyors of um there were a few fashion uh or anti-fashion boutiques <laughs> in london <laughs> and so and he operated a, a place called boy and so um and he was a little bit older so So Andrew would have been like maybe a younger teenager. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he was in the punk scene in England at the time, even though he's from the US. And so, but he didn't start, he saved stuff, but he wasn't like a serious collector of punk until like later in life, Um, he collected other things like film posters and things like that. And then he started a punk collection later in life. So he's amassed this more recently.
0: So, is there a future poster collection from all of his, <laughs> his film posters as well?
1: There's well, there's there's a lot of posters in there that um, <laughs> to just sift through. Um, which is such it, so, like when I say there's a first show really to look at punk um, graphics through the lens of graphic design because graphic design is like a professional practice It has a history. Mm-hmm. Um, we look at different things and say like um, a collector would because like most collectors of this collect um, because they might have a favorite band or you know um, they're collecting for different reasons as if a designer was collecting it they might be focused like on a typeface or they might be fo- focused on a particular designer because many designers came out of this movement um, famous one so so the, being a the designer is going to be a little bit different take on it than if you're just collecting punk because you love the music or you like were part of the scene.
0: I mean, it sounds um, like a complicated puzzle to unravel when you think about even a large museum, just to get down to a curated collection of kind of the, the key pieces. How, what was kind of the lens that you were looking at this through um, yeah kind of determine you know how much of the <laughs> amateur stuff, how much of the professional stuff, or how much of the big names or no names or like there's got to be a lot of that going on in this collection.
1: yeah, there is. um so no it's kind of the key question if you're a curator, so I just I looked and looked and looked at lots and lots of things and then I <laughs> um, decided that um, I started making categories of things that how we could um uh, arrange the show in a, in a different way. So what I did was kind of visual strategies or design strategies. So the show isn't like necessarily chronological, but things do change over time. Mm -hmm. Um, Uh, Because you could have just done it straight chronology or something, but, um, so there's themes. So like one section of the show is about appropriation. Um, it's called like copy and paste. Um, you think more of a computer term, but, um, the idea of of stealing images, um, Mm -hmm. which was a, a practice circulating in the art world, but it was also circulating in this punk world, um, and we can debate like who started what, but <laughs> that was part of one one lens that you could look at it. Another lens was looking at the idea of collage, which is related to that because you're taking the image from some source. Mm-hmm. Um, we looked at the influence of art because especially in New York, there was a lot of overlap between the, like we would call them, the emerging art scene, like on the Lower East Side. And then, which was also the same places for the same neighborhoods for, punk music and so there was a lot of overlap and bleeding between artists visual artists and then musicians and related to punk um, we have another category on diy do it yourself which is a lot of the amateur um, like the zines and the flyers especially um, as being an important influence um, that we still kind of live with today because now we call it diy we didn't necessarily call it diy back in the day <laughs> right. when this was happening <laughs> but now we have a name for it um, so we have that kind of stuff going on. We look at typography, which is the element of graphic design, which is an explosion of you know of really eccentric and eclectic typography. We have New Wave, which is a style of design as well as the name used for a kind of part a subset of like or post punk music. Mm-hmm. Um, we look at retro graphics. This was the 1980s, 1970s, 1980s, so postmodernism looking to kind of the past and history. So there's a lot of retro references. And then like inspirational things like comic books and cartoons for designers of punk graphics as well as um, horror and sci-fi. And then the last section, I think the last one is like on um, Agit, we call agitprop, which is like propaganda style graphics and the uh, kind of looking at Soviet uh, and Chinese communist um, styles of graphic design as as ways of actually pushing more left wing messages like um, anti-fascist, anti-Nazi voices within the punk movement. So, things that are kind of resonant sadly today uh, were happening then in the, in the 80s as well so that's so, kind of how the show is arranged so those, those, those kind of lenses
0: so maybe we could back up just a little bit and um i don't know if this is too nebulous of a question but what exactly is punk or what what defined the punk movement
1: Um, Well, merging out of, I would first label it more uh, a musical movement, um, looking at um, reaction against um, the kind of like uh, ossification of rock music. Um, This was another interesting thing because having done the hippie show, that was really looking at the, you know, basically the creation of rock concerts and the rock Mm -hmm. industry so by the 70s and this was in the 60s so not that long not that long later um things were getting kind of predictable and um a lot of uh, studio processing so the sound of punk is very different it's it's very much um in the sense that anyone could be a punk musician right like you mm-hmm. didn't have to really play the guitar exceptionally well um it Just was more mom. about passion <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was kind of, you know, we call that de skilling. Like it's, um, there's a lower entry level if you didn't know how to play that, or if you yeah. were already skilled, you could, you could, you could um, fudge it. And this uh, carries over into graphic design, actually. So, like if you're more trained in design school and you learn all these rules, then those things may not apply for creating a kind of a graphic that would resonate with an audience interested in punk. So, you would kind of de skill yourself like you would use purposely bad letter spacing or like, you know, (laughs) different strategies to make it look and feel more authentic.
0: Yeah. So, um, what do you think tied, um, I guess you're kind of talking through part of it, but, but what, what, what do you think was kind of the key in tying the visual language to what was happening in the music?
1: Right. So they were trying to find um, designers and artists and and a lot of designers were actually band members too. They were trying to find authentic form, graphic form for this Mm -hmm. new kind of music. And so um, you know, it's like any kind of um, it's not set in stone from above you know it's not a set of instructions it's grown from the ground up so um you have different influences because like technology shifts right so like in the 60s there was a lot of silk screening for posters for example so you could have really beautiful vibrant color saturated color but you know this is the period when you know xerox machines overtake You know, they become more ubiquitous and cheaper to use. So everything has a real kind of uh, rougher, faster, cut and paste kind of mentality. Um, You could scavenge typesetting because this is also before the computer for for desktop publishing. So you could find your typography. So, you know, typesetting was expensive and, you know, no one had the budget for that, so you would cut. You could cut your words out of magazines, for example. So that it contributes a little bit to the the ransom note feel for something. Mm-hmm. Or you might just hand letter it because it's more expressive and direct. Um, there was also kind of influence from graffiti writing, the early writing um, in the 70s and 80s in New York. So uh, the handwritten thing could be a cheap, easy alternative to typesetting. So all of these circumstances kind of feed into what the graphics could look like and then as the movement evolves you get a shift in that so in this show you kind of goes from almost black and white to color because like when you get new wave um since that was also a kind of movement within the graphic design world um it was also the name of a kind of music right so you have um, this kind of basic shapes a lot of um, a lot a lot more color like a color explosion neon colors, for example, um, basic shapes. There, there's certain like techniques and styles that come into play to help give it a new wave look <laughs> mm-hmm. look and feel. Um, so very 80s. New wave would be like for what people probably would think of as 80s yeah. style. Yeah. So there's a lot of, um, so, so all of those factors combine together to kind of give a movement. A kind of graphic style so we can look at something and say oh yeah that looks kind of punk but part of doing the show was because when i said that before people would think oh it's like the ransom lettering thing um but there's more to that there's much more diverse than that there was a lot more experimental typography um just um you know they were influenced by the cartoons they were reading these are comics like more adult comics that also come out of the 60s mm-hmm. um so they were influenced by that so they would have um, so one camp would be more heavy illustration based design and then another camp might be more typographic and photographic kind of design so that's why a lot of the sound images they were quicker and easier to reproduce um, you know it's just uh, there's a lot more frenetic energy <laughs> in the music and in the production of everything so they kind of fits
0: that's so why it obviously. Goes, right? we've got kind of the balance here of music and art and design kind of all coming together um f- focusing purely on the music side of it for a second um what do you feel like were some of the strongest influences or maybe influencers in the punk scene that kind of mm-hmm. you know kind of created mm-hmm. that sound
1: that created sound. Well, yeah. So, um, so we probably would need to talk about proto-punk or what I would call proto-punk. Um, mm-hmm. So this is late '60s. So this is really the garage band sound. Um, so of course, being here in Michigan, we focus a lot on those groups, but I think they're pretty important. But like the MC5, um, Motor City Five, um, who you know would prefer like live recording and performance over like studio production. Mm-hmm. Um, you had a much uh, simpler stripped down uh, sound as well. So um, some of these other ones would have been like um, Iggy Pop and, the, uh, well, later Iggy Pop, the Stooges out of Ann Arbor. Um, and Iggy Pop, of course, was you know a very kind of frenzied performer. Mm-hmm. So yeah. a lot of the theatrics that went into that, or his, his style, if you call it that, um, transmitted into punk and so he's considered like grandfather punk um you had um like a lot of the um like maybe some pieces of glam rock as well um like velvet underground new york dolls um so all of those people kind of give it what we might call proto-punk so they set the stage for that because they're they're not conforming to the 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 you know the hard rock classic hard rock formula and then you have bands later like out of the new york scene that are important like television um, talking heads um Patty smith group um uh folks like that who were you know creating this new sound so
0: what about from the maybe from the design side who are some of the early influencers or kind of standouts um or maybe designers who launched out of the punk scene into more of the same or kind of, you know, something totally different and talk us through kind of the, the who's who of the designers.
1: Yeah. So like, um, this really happens in England for some reason, like out of the true punk period, punk and post-punk, like early post-punk. So, um, like Jamie Reed, for example, who was the design, you know, who designed the things for the sex pistols, um, Uh, Barney Bubbles, um, who did a variety of different work, but it was very, um, had a very rich kind of palette, like more expansive palette. Um, Other designers would be like Peter Saville, Neville Brody, Malcolm Garrett, um, Terry Jones, who was the art director of ID Magazine, which was um, birthed Mm -hmm. during the Mm -hmm. punk. Era, it's like the first issues are more like zine like and not like the kind of slicker publication that kind of comes later. Um, Von Oliver, like early Von Oliver. Um, In the US, you would have like Winston Smith, who's in San Francisco. He did all the Dead Kennedys um, Hmm. kind of uh, uh, albums and stuff. Um, Mike Coles in England. Um, There's like even Tibor Kalman, M Company, working with Talking Heads. the 80s um you know so like a lot (laughs) a lot (laughs) (laughs) a lot of designers came out of there because that was where all the action was happening right so um, and people, music companies spend a lot more money on things, and there were things to design, like printed graphics, so you'd have the albums, which of course are gray, that's 12 by 12 inches, it's like a canvas, yeah, uh, compared awesome. to like a jewel box on a CD in the 90s, or right. like, I don't know what you get now, like an icon, a thumbnail from, right. from a download or something. Um, and there would be posters in record stores, because record stores are big distribution points, so there was a lot of money being poured into the industry. To support graphic design, and, and the bands were, wanted a new form of expression. They wanted a new form of communication that fit their what their music was. So mm-hmm. um, they pretty much had to, you know, the record executives had to go along with the program. Basically, this was what like, this is <laughs> sure. what would appeal to to uh, the young folks, let's say, right, buying the records. So yeah. there was a lot of trust put into the designers in order to create the right image. And the, the and then, like I said, like the bands, like a lot of designers, I think were also part of band members, especially a lot of the local punk scene. Um, so it's not surprising to see like, Oh, this was, a, this person played in a, a local punk band, but and then they ended up being like a graphic designer because you're doing your own stuff usually.
0: Yeah, exactly. What do you feel like has carried over, um, you know, from the design scene from the punk era, what, what influence do you see that that brought to today's design world?
1: Mm, Well, I think it influenced a lot of stuff at the time. Um, in terms of the history like 80s style design new wave design um, a lot of the graphic experimentation of the 80s and 90s is fueled i think by the kinds of freedoms that um, punk graphics kind of demanded um you know this was not a lot of like Flush left Helvetica set corporate mm, right. <laughs> style design, Unless it was ironic, so there's some of that <laughs> yeah, okay. that was meant to be ironic. Um, so um, so freedom. I think graphic freedom, the breaking of all the rules, the kind of deskilling notion, the the idea that which is a huge thing because you know having grown up through that period as a designer, the goal your goal normally was to emulate professional looking design and so when you get this other stuff that looks like it was slapped together in five minutes but has a lot of energy and excitement Mm -hmm. behind it as a younger person you're kind of like that looks interesting Mm -hmm. (laughs) that that feels more right for some reason so it kind of destabilized i think a lot of the notions about what proper practice of design could be um we talked a little about diy culture um like you know, empowerment of people—like anyone, like everyone—could be an artist. Everyone could be a musician. Everyone could be a designer. I think that's part of the takeaway of punk. Um, of course, the better stuff floats to the top. <laughs> the other stuff, <laughs> but um, yeah. So I think there's a lot of a lot of different influences, um, and uh, again, kind of interesting because it's it's a little bit before the computer.
0: So we've had. Um even though your your collection you know basically expands what we say 10 years mm-hmm. um you know the the musical influence of punk or sort of the the reverberation if you will of kind of that sound is still around and in bands even today do you, do you feel like there's like the same ethos in in today's punk music as there was kind of in that initial period or does it feel like just like emulation or is it flattery like what what's your take on on modern punk <laughs> wow
1: um well uh gosh i think uh it's a hard question for me to answer because like things are new to a new generation of people right, right. so when i was listening to punk in the early like late 70s early 80s it felt like shockingly new um now you know you can you know you understand where it's coming from and it has a history so it's different it's not that shock of the new i don't think anymore um on the other hand it's probably a form of protest if it's kind of true punk because Mm -hmm. you have the same kind of standardization homogenization of the music scene today i think personal opinion but um, (laughs) there's a formula for sound i think You know, it's very heavily, like, if you don't think it's, if you think it's spontaneous, it's not at all. (laughs) They study this shit inside and out. And so that's why a lot of music does sound the same, or it's structured similarly. so, but that's the industry that does this all the time. So in a sense, you know, that's what was happening in the 70s and 80s in the main rock industry. So it needed a kick in the ass. And so maybe the same thing is true today, you know, that there's so much formalization of the sound and a packaging of the sound that you need something to disrupt that in order to create a sense of innovation within the music industry. So hopefully that's what carries through. That's the lesson I hope carries through.
0: Yeah, so you went from hippies to punks. What's <laughs> what's the next logical progression?
1: Oh God, if I have to do a grunge show, I might kill myself. Uh, That's <laughs> <laughs> like it. It gets it closer, you know. Like punk was hippies was hard because I was just born during that era, so I didn't live through it really. Yeah, right. The punk, I kind of lived through. So, and it was nice to actually curate something where you can remember things, and <laughs> knew them personally. So yeah. you have a different take on it. Um, So what after that, I don't know. I heard 90s design is coming back, but I think it's too soon for me to deal with. But yeah, yeah, because partly I'm like, what does that mean exactly? I'm trying to pinpoint (laughs) 90s design, but um, I still think we can do a lot with the 80s. Like we haven't really touched the 80s. I mean, we got into the 80s Mm -hmm. with punk, but it really starts in the 70s, right? So maybe it's about um, like postmodernism because that's like, out of fashion, um, so maybe it's interesting because it is out of fashion to tackle that next.
0: And yeah, like
1: what is this really about? And having lived through that, that's also helpful too, because then you have different weird reference points to think. <laughs> you know, like you have insider knowledge, so it's a little bit easier.
0: Well, you also or have harder. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <don't> yeah, <laughs> right or more interesting to tackle since you're not not sure.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like you know, all the people that have been forgotten. The artists that have been forgotten really and that are not part of the textbooks and um so it's nice sometimes to revisit a lot of that and disrupt the canon you know that's part of what your job is i think as a curator is to question some of these things
0: um maybe going back to you as a student at cranbrook did you um feel or see influences at the time in the in the 80s uh, of of this punk scene, or was was Cranbrook responding to it differently? What what was kind of the the take there? Or the vibe yeah, there?
1: that's kind of interesting question because I went from undergrad to grad, right? You know, like without a gap. So mm-hmm. <laughs> the undergrad was undergrad was much more influenced by punk and the music and the graphics. And then when I got to Cranbrook, they were into like slightly different things. So it was, um, it was still very experimental, mm-hmm. but it was not coming exactly from that base. So it was different, um, here at that moment in the eighties.
0: Was the, um, sort of in grad school at Cranbrook, Brook, again, this is sort of a, a snapshot in time, maybe not how they would do that <laughs> today, but was it more about, you know, preparing you for a, a future professional job as a corporate <laughs> graphic designer? Was it more about making art or in self-expression or like somewhere in between? What was kind of their, their position? Yeah,
1: it was um, definitely not about getting a job. Um, we <laughs> all joked that we were unemployable, um, which was an interesting condition. So therefore a lot of people started their own businesses um cuz what was <laughs> so it helped i mean there's no pretense about getting a job <laughs> um so you know it was experimental and it was um we were trying to push the definition of what professional practice as, as a designer and what counted as real design could be and so we had a very um uh <laughs> grandiose <laughs> um expectation of transforming the field um Mm -hmm. um with a fairly young group of people um but um so we weren't we didn't want the we we wanted the space the freedom to think differently about practice and what design could be so we weren't obsessed with what we we would do next or what job we would get next but um so that was nice um in retrospect that was nice (laughs) um and kind of liberating, Um, but it was, uh, it was, it was different. It was, um, it wasn't, um, but, but they expected you to be part of the discipline and part of the field. So, so I don't know now because there's more avenues to explore, there's a lot of blurring between art and design for instance. And so, you know, it's plausible that someone could graduate the design degree and be a contemporary artist. Like there's not that many barriers anymore between those Two realms where, when I was here, it was very rigid. And you were either a designer, or you were an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it was very much centered on the field. But it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't like we were trying to escape the field. It was like we wanted to. We were searching for how to introduce personal expression back into graphic design because a lot of it had become really slick, formulaic, and corporate. And so we wanted to create a different path. It's not the path for everyone. Uh, so we knew that too. But, you know, there's still a few people here at a time. So. <laughs> everyone can choose, but the, we just want to create a new path.
0: Do you still um, practice design? Or are you still an active designer? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, so the idea of design has just become broader and so when I do a show there's there's the exhibition design there is the communications and marketing that goes behind it there are sometimes publications that go behind it so I'm often designing or having a big hand in how those things are shaped and how they can be leveraged differently because they're all different um, but yeah like up until I guess up until I became a museum director that sucks more time out of your design time mm, But like right. at the Walker when I was at the Walker um, yeah, you would be designing websites and publishing platforms, and it just gets more complicated because there's more things that you have to think about, more like systems design, like how does this work as a system, or how do you create a platform, that kind of stuff. But then, you know, we geek out about formally, like this needs to look great. You're right. <laughs> so, <laughs> we get bored with the systems talk that we could talk about like that's the wrong typeface that sucks <laughs>
0: I would this still look good in my book man clean this up
1: <laughs> yeah all things should look good and they should be they should be smart and they should perform so that's like a lot of criteria to fulfill but that's the goal it's like it needs to be all those things
0: it's hard to do all that and rebel and change the world all at the same time but
1: you know, I know. yeah it's a lifetime you get a lifetime <laughs> <laughs> to do, to do <laughs>
0: So you're welcome to answer this question either in the vein of punk or kind of way back your your early design heroes or or maybe other designers you respect today, but I'm curious who who you would list on your design heroes list.
1: Oh yeah. Well that list changed over time but the funny thing was that a lot of these people were the heroes right from this mm-hmm. time period because yeah. that's what you saw and that's what was different so that was kind of cool to go back and say oh yeah there's peter seville's thing <laughs> or there's gareth thing and these are just people that you would read about in a magazine maybe or in a book later but um so that was kind of cool to do that um there and then that list is is always changes and and kind of grows um to you know it gets it gets updated as you meet people so but i think for this for this show it it was really like looking back at these these kids (laughs) i guess they were a lot younger (laughs) um (laughs) and some of them were probably just kids and that was kind of fascinating too like oh they were 21 when they did this they're 19
0: and that's crazy um
1: yeah, it's kind of crazy when you think about it that way. But, you know, it kind of makes sense when you think about the movement because the kids playing the guitars are probably like 16 and 17. Right.
0: They're actually the old kids compared to the band. Yeah, they're old. The now, band but, but, <laughs> like, we're <laughs> all old. <now. laughs>
1: yeah. So that was cool.
0: Um, you know, you mentioned Neville Brody. He's always been high on my list. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, you know, certainly had a career that spanned through this punk era into very. Very modern and very clean stuff as well, but uh, mm-hmm. definitely a, yeah. a future uh, hopeful addition to Obsessed show.
1: <laughs> exactly, he'll have more free time because he's not heading the program at the RCA, so he's just mm. a professor there now. There you go. Maybe he's, maybe he's bored. <laughs> so Andrea says he has more time to come on <laughs> <through Brian>. your <laughs> Well, he's like, who's this brat? <laughs> yeah, Neville, if you're listening. <laughs>
0: We'd love to chat with you. Um, (laughs) Well, I'm curious um, what you would count as one of your proudest professional moments. And maybe it's in curation or in design, but just kind of curious what you would list there.
1: Hmm. Well, uh, it was kind of nice when, uh, because I was at the Walker Art Center for like 17 years. (laughs) Mm, nice. which, you know, which nobody does anymore <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> all the millennials are like oh my god how could you work there for so long <laughs> um like a prison sentence or um yeah no i mean so like um i was able to do a lot in that context and that was um very satisfying um and getting recognition for um because they used to have to tell people it's like because it's contemporary art, so it looks like, oh, everything's possible. There's no barriers. There's no, this is easy. And it's like, no, it's really hard work. <laughs> yeah. It's like, because you have the same client every day. So if anyone's in-house, they understand this. So to take a culture and transform an internal culture, to get it to want to produce good design is really an accomplishment. So I've always been proud of the fact that um, we, we were essentially in-house operation, but no one thought of us that way. If that sounds, that sounds kind of snotty, but you know, if you're in-house, you kind of get it (laughs) because there's always a consultant at the door to tell you what to do. Um, (laughs) but, um, we were able to kind of circumvent that. And so I'm proud of that moment.
0: Um, tell me about where you find inspiration, especially for you know a a curated experience where where do you go or what other things inspire you
1: wow kind of like everything because that's why i like creating exhibitions because they're kind of experiences and they involve um all the dimensions and kind of all the senses um so so i could so depending on the show or the subject matter i'm dealing with um it could be it could be inspired by some artist installation or um like like I've always wanted to do more with sound and scent in a show mm. I can't quite get there for some reason <laughs> I could lose energy <laughs> all these 500 the smell piece of shows. punk design <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly what's the smell of punk <laughs> mm. <laughs> we know what it would be for hippie so and I'm allergic <laughs> to patchouli so like it can be bad. <laughs> um. But uh, so, yeah, so I think that I like the exhibition structure because it makes you think of very design-like things, but very differently, like spatially. And like, how do you create a narrative? I'm used to that in a book or in a brochure Mm -hmm. or something. But like when you're talking about physical space and you can't really control people, you can only lure them (laughs) and guide them. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's that's, uh, an interesting kind of area. And so for that, I do kind of look at anything and everything but a lot of it's guided by like whatever the subject is at the time or the challenges of how you present something um that's a challenge of because i do architecture as well and that's always a challenge because you can rarely have like real buildings inside of other buildings oh, yeah. um so how do you deal with that problem and, and most people only understand architecture through like it's encounter in reality. (laughs) Like if you go to a house, you kind of get it. But if you're looking at floor plans, they're very abstract. If you're looking at renderings, that's a little bit better. If you're looking at a little model, maybe. Um, So it gets a little bit better. So there's just each discipline, has, each design area has its own challenge. I think the hardest is landscape design because it's also not inside the gallery usually. And it changes and evolves over such a long arc of time that that's another challenge like how do you show landscape that's why you don't see very many landscape shows um (laughs) they're usually like plans for gardens or something like that which is fine but then how do you get the sense of what the mature design looks like or how do you know when it's done is it 50 years later because it's nature (laughs) so it's much more complicated
0: yeah that that fourth dimension of time you know you've already got the the three directions but then it literally changes in Dies and sprouts and yeah that's kind of crazy
1: yeah
0: (laughs) so do you have any um dream projects i mean with with all of these varied interests between experiences and graphic design and architecture is what what's kind of the big thing out there for you that you'd love to do in the future
1: um well i have always been challenged as i probably hinted at was like the the landscape problem um i think it's such a it's such an interesting topic for the average public like everyone gets landscape <laughs> it's not like abstract <laughs> art or something where you <laughs> you already had a subset of people but right. everyone can deal with it but then how do you represent that in a gallery and I, I think that's always been the kind of dream challenge is as how do you how would i do that and then the, on what occasion would that come
0: <laughs> oh interesting and and how do you know when it's done
1: <laughs> exactly exactly this is, is it a lifelong project <laughs> like, here it is at the beginning here it is in the middle here it is near the end because landscapes also have to be regenerated sometimes so all right yeah so replanted rethought
0: well andrew um this is a question that I ask every guest on this show, and I'm curious. It doesn't necessarily have to have anything to do with exhibition design or or punk rock or or plants. But uh, <laughs> I'm curious what you find you are most obsessed with right now.
1: Oh gosh, it's going to sound so boring. <laughs> I'm I'm working on a history of Cranbrook Academy of Art. Um, which is a, a um, god it's like if you don't know Cranbrook so it's a, it's a graduate only school mm-hmm. and it um, there are no there's no undergrads and there's no classes and there are no grades so um, so it's sort of um, this crazy art school philosophy um, that's been around for like 80 some years and it's still only experimental school except for maybe cal arts that comes much later but it's one of the few schools that didn't close like the bauhaus closed black mountain college closed like after a short period of time so it's the only thing that's been going on for that long so i'm kind of (laughs) obsessed about like um researching more of like it's going to sound antithetical almost like it's teaching philosophy even though there's no teaching So oh, interesting, kind of like, yeah, <laughs> it's a brain teaser, it's sort of like, <laughs> how do you and and then, like how did it happen, and like the time period so I've just been reading about uh you know early twentieth century design you know, places like the Bauhaus, but others um, mm-hmm. that were, how did they, how how did someone start this? Like, how do, what does it mean? And then what does an MFA mean and what is its history? And so it's all these really weird intangible things, but I'm obsessed with now, like all these alternative schools. And <laughs> so it's a very intellectual exercise. Not, well, I not think like that sounds like a very interesting
0: with. obsession. I've always thought that like the, um, you know, I'm based uh, in Indianapolis and I've always thought like kind of the family tree view of, you know, this agency existed and then this guy left Mm -hmm. there to start this other one and then to kind of see Mm -hmm. how they sprout and grow from there. And I, I think that would be, you know, maybe a really interesting exercise to do just with your Cranbrook alums.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Like the, the tree exercise. Yeah. There's a, there's the interesting, um, from the 80s so here's the <laughs> here's the curator in action so like paula Shear did a cover of print magazine in the 80s and she tried to do this kind of family tree of design history oh, um, cool. which is kind of interesting and the other reference is actually from my show it's not traveling with it but um there's a british gentleman who does the rock family tree i don't know if you've seen them oh yeah not. cool they're really cool and he well he was a music journalist so then he was he's a journalist so he's taking notes all the time about well this guy was in this band and then he went to that other band and then you know so on and so on so he was creating these little trees in his notebook and then decided to do them almost like pieces of art and so they're like information graphics basically but they look much cooler (laughs)
0: yeah that sounds awesome yeah um Andrew, as we wind down here, a lot of our listeners are um, young professionals or young designers or aspiring creatives of all types. Um, I'm curious if you have a favorite piece of advice that either you have received or maybe one of your favorite pieces of advice to pass along to young creatives.
1: Hmm. Wow. Um, Well, I think when I was younger... Um I always tried to find the creative potential within every little project. Um, sometimes it was very little thing, <laughs> but <laughs> it gave me hope. <laughs> I clung to that. Like if I can get this typeface through, like it seems easier with typefaces now, because everyone kind of gets it but back <laughs> in the day, like people were like, like, "What is this typeface? It should be like this other thing. It's like right. so opinionated or color sometimes works the same way. so um, sometimes it's a horrible things, sometimes it's like concepts and ideas that don't quite go through, but I tried to look for little moments of triumph and all the little projects and then um and then one day the tide turned, and then <laughs> and then you're a concept person, and so like. Um, learn it. so is my advice like learn how to sell concepts. I think that's what has been really helpful as a designer that I didn't learn in design school. Because you're spending all your time, you know, designing things and looking at things and but you you do talk about them, but like selling stuff, selling ideas is really important to be successful. And it's not like a sellout thing, it's just like being able to articulate why something is important, why something's interesting, or why this is the best approach. And that's usually gets, that's how people that they kind of hear at talks, that's how they're successful because they can mm-hmm. sell it. And so the verbal, or whatever you want to call that, the social verbal part of design is important um, because that's how you, because once you are able to do a few things, it leads to more things like that. So that's how people build careers. So it just takes one or two successes to help build a path.
0: Yeah, that is great advice. Um, Before we let you go, tell us again um, where folks can check out this show.
1: So, yes. So the exhibition is on tour and it's going to open in New York City at the Museum of Arts and Design, which is in Columbus Circle. Um, So you can check it out there and then it'll go to... Europe to Brussels after that, so um, at the um, museum of, um, the Brussels Design Museum, and that's um, again in Belgium, so, and then probably other places after that.
0: And uh, where can folks who are interested in Brook or uh, connecting with you further, work? could they find you online?
1: Sadly, the cobbler has no shoes, so I don't have a website yet. <laughs> i know i disappoint so many kids that are doing research (laughs) like (laughs) i have a wikipedia page but that's about it (laughs) i haven't been able to build my own website so it's kind of horrible but um one might be coming soon um (laughs) there that puts pressure on me to actually finish, do it publish it but um you can learn more about um art museum at our website which is cranburgartmuseum.org or you can um uh, learn more about cranbrook academy of art as well on their website and they have a new website so you might just want to check it out because it's new
0: <laughs> very cool well we will link to all of that stuff in the show notes including whenever you get your own website you can send me the link <laughs> <Yeah>. and i'll <laughs> i'll update the interview and add that i know to people
1: can't believe i don't have a website i was like well i just never got around to making one i don't
0: know <laughs> thank you for chatting today and thank you for being obsessed with design Okay, kids, that's show number 115 officially in the books. I hope you enjoyed today's chat with Andrew Blavell, and be sure and check out that show in New York City all about punk design. We will include in all of the show notes the location to the museum and relevant links to today's conversation. Head over to obsessedshow.com slash episodes to find today's episode number 115. As we expand our topics here at Obsessed Show, please tweet at Obsessed Show and let me know who else you think we should talk to. Do you want to hear from video people, from authors, from painters? What kind of creators and creatives and makers are most interesting to you? Because that's who I want to interview on this show. Don't forget to check out that new 59 Second Friday series all about personal branding and marketing on YouTube. That's youtube.com slash josh miles and it would mean a lot to me if you just hit that subscribe button every subscriber means a lot you can get all of today's show notes on our website still at obsessedshow.com and if you haven't already while you're there add your email address to our newsletter i'll update you on some of my favorite new episodes and some cool things i find in my daily obsessions Of course, all the links are over at obsessedshow.com to all the places you can find this show, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Spotify. So no matter where you find your podcasts, chances are you can listen to Obsessed Show from there. Just head over to obsessedshow.com. The Obsessed Show learned how to say, Oi, Head Miles Herndon, a branding agency in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. Visit milesherndon.com to learn more.